section nineteen of the beginning of the middle ages by richard william church this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eight the carolingians successors of charles part three but in the north and west it was different the movement in denmark and scandinavia toward the beginning of the ninth century had disquieted the mind of charles the great a danish king had stirred up war and defied him on the elba and the barks of the northmen were beginning to scare the coasts of gaul as they had already begun to burn churches and plunder monasteries on the english coasts they were the forerunners of a tremendous tempest of a descent of the barbarians which in its widespread havoc in its obstinate continuance in its aims and consequences was as eventful as the invasions of the goths and franks or the conquests of the angles and saxons it caused the last great change in the population of western europe till the expulsion of the moors from spain we are familiar with the danes in england and we know that the northmen created the great province of normandy but the danes and the northmen were the same and what they did in england and in gaul were but parts simultaneously carried on of one great system of adventurous exploring of plunder and of attempted conquest the havoc that they made in gaul was as wide as terrible and as unintermitted as their havoc in england in gaul they had a yet wider field and they ravaged wherever rivers could float their ships from the rhine to the seine the loire and the garonne and up the rhine and moselle as far as coblenz and treves up the french rivers far into the interior to paris orleans bourges the attempts of the frank kings to arrest or limit the mischief even on the rhine and much more in gaul were unavailing summer after summer as the ninth century wore on and as the next began the northern adventurers came with increased force with more daring leaders with larger designs with more clear superiority even if defeated they only changed their object of attack discomfited and beaten off in england they crossed over to gaul if the local resistance was too strong for them in gaul they tried their fortune on the opposite shores the deepest discouragement and terror took possession of the populations of gaul who seemed for the most part helpless we are hardly accustomed to the thought that it was within but little that half france should become a normandy and that danish kings should rule in the land of the franks as they did in the land of the english things pointed in that direction toward the end of the ninth century under charles the bald and his children perhaps what prevented it was the comparative smallness of the numbers of the invaders consequent on their mode of access the largest of their fleets could not transport the barbarian hosts who marched by land the first serious danger from the northmen in gaul coincided with the outbreak of intestine dissensions in the family of louis the pious just after the catastrophe of the lugenfeld in eight thirty three they appear burning churches and plundering monasteries at the mouth of the scheldt and even threatening the cities of the rhine in may eight forty one 
amid the civil broils between the Carolingian brothers, a month before the fight of Fontenay, Oscar the Northman entered the Seine, which was soon to be specially the Norman River, plundered and burned Rouen, and retired, ransoming or destroying towns and monasteries on his way back to the sea. From this time the Northmen learned that the broad rivers of Gaul were more worth exploring than the coasts. The Seine, because it was nearest and led up to Paris, now becoming a place of great importance in the new West Frankish realm, the Loire and the Garonne, because they led through cornlands and vineyards and the richest cities, deepest into the heart of the country, became the scenes of periodic visitations from the Danish adventurers and pirates. Before the eyes of Charles the Bald, who was powerless to hinder them, the Danes, at Easter 845, pillaged the monasteries of Paris and then extorted the Danegeld, the tribute paid for peace, or rather respite. They came again twelve years later in 857, this time burning the monasteries and scattering the bones of Clovis and Clotildis. Their third Easter visit in 861 was followed by a partial settlement under a leader who, like Guthrum in England, received baptism, and by the creation of a barrier and bulwark against them, a frontier duchy, of which the chief seat was Paris, and the holder, a valiant soldier, Robert the Strong. From the duchy of Paris and from the house of Robert the Strong proceeded the line which was to displace the Carolingians and to become the kings of France. Paris was fortified, the great siege of 885 in which kings and emperors did so little to relieve the city, and Duke Odo, Robert's son, kept the Northmen so gallantly at bay, was the turning point of deliverance and hope to the Franks, and the title in due time of Odo to supplant the Carolingian king. But the Northmen still prevailed. The county of Flanders, created like Paris as a frontier defense in 862, could not prevent an invasion of the Frankish rivers in 881 and 882, in which the Danes pillaged and burnt the most famous cities, Maestricht, Cologne, Koblenz, Liege, Antwerp, even Aachen, Soissons, and Reims. But in Germany they were at length checked. Gaul was an easier prey, and they began to occupy their conquests. Three times had the Frankish kings granted to Danish chiefs the countship of the Frisian shore, from the mouth of the Meuse to the Weser. The lands where they settled began to receive their name. In France, Normandy, the land of the Northmen, Terra Normanorum, answering to what in England was called the Danelagu, the land of Danish law. Besides the Normandy which they founded on the Seine, other Normandies were attempted on the Loire round Amiens, in Burgundy, and in Auvergne, round Chartres, in Brittany. Even in Germany, on the western bank of the Rhine, as far as Koblenz, Godfrey the Danish Count of Friesland would have created a Danishry, if he had not been murdered by Charles the Fat in 885, who had himself made a grant of the territory. It was in vain that they were beaten, and that songs of triumph were made over some rare victory of the Franks, one of these songs has survived in the German tongue of the Franks of that time, the Ludwigslied, in honor of a victory won by Louis III, king of the West Franks. 
but the Danes reappeared, and the continual Dane guild was the proof of their success. At length, amid a crowd of chiefs, some of the same name, we hear of Rolf or Rollo. At first he is hard to distinguish, but he is apparently to be discerned in those disastrous days when Charles the Bald, unable to restrain the Northmen, yet found leisure to attack his brother's children and attempt the imperial crown in 876. Charles was defeated ignominiously at Andernach by his nephew Louis the Saxon on October 8th, and a month before the battle, on September 16th, Rollo sailed up the Seine, just as Oscar had first led the Danes to Rouen a month before the murderous battle of Fontenay between the grandsons of Charles the Great. Charles humbled on the Rhine, thinking now only of Italy, and on the eve of a miserable end, confirmed a treaty by which Rollo, besides having his Danegeld, was to occupy Rouen. Rollo was henceforth, under Charles's successors, master of Rouen and the Seine. This did not prevent him from joining his countrymen in their ravages, but his name is not prominent till amid the strife between Charles the Simple, the grandson of Charles the Bald, and the Dukes of Paris, he reappears. He had then become strong enough to be worth bargaining with as an ally. Charles the Simple and Duke Robert of Paris joined in giving Rollo a legal position in the lands which he occupied. A formal conference took place between the Northmen, with his chieftains, and the Frank king on the banks of the Ept, afterwards the boundary stream of Normandy. Rollo demanded, after some bargaining obtained, all from the Ept to the sea westwards, including Brittany. A doubtful story says that he also received King Charles's daughter. For this territory he performed homage. He placed his hands between the king's hands and became the king's man. And the next year he was baptized at Rouen. The land of the Normans had become a part of the Frank kingdom. The Duke of the Normans, though long sneered at as a Duke of the Pirates, took rank with Dukes of Paris and Counts of Flanders, and was in time to be the premier Duke of France. The treaty or agreement of saint clair sur epte was probably at the time not different from many transactions of the same kind, but it was the starting point of great changes. It formally introduced into the Latin world a new German race which rapidly unlearned its old habits and language, becoming more Latin than the Latins round it, and it added to western France a state which was to be its most powerful element, a people of singular strength, versatility, and ambition, who were to exercise an influence without example on the fortunes of all their neighbors. When the settlement of Normandy had been finally recognized, and had attained, as it did in another generation, its full limits, northward and westwards, the Danish attempts to settle elsewhere in Gaul gradually slackened, though their ravages continued for some time longer. The Northmen received some severe lessons, twice in their efforts to penetrate to the central highlands of Auvergne and Burgundy, they were defeated with great slaughter. In time the Danishry on the Loire and the Somme melted into the surrounding population. But the great result of their invasion, Rollo's almost royal dukedom, grew and prospered. It held the balance between frank parties and kings. 
vainly by force or intrigue the king of the franks louis d'outremer son of charles the simple endeavoured to undo his own and his father's work ignominious failure was the result and twice within two years nine forty three through nine forty five the normans held the king of the franks a prisoner in their hands from the time of charles the simple and the establishment of the norman duchy the carolingians played a varied but losing game against the rising house the counts and dukes of paris the descendants of duke robert the royal authority was undermined by the growth of great local potentates and among them the lords of paris and the adjoining territory were the most formidable from the remembrance of their exploits against the northmen from their ambition and from their ability they had their rivals on the north and east the new danish masters of the valley of the seine the counts of vermandois descendants of the great charles these rivalries though at times they gave great advantages to the king also marked his weakness and shattered the unity of the realm the carolingians had henceforth to fight for their kingdom with their great nobles they were overthrown driven into exile supplanted by strangers restored they were not without gallantry and spirit but they owed their crown when they held it less to their own power than to the jealousies of the great territorial princes round them whom a few more turns of tightening custom and stiffening precedent were to change into the great feudatories of the later ages charles the simple after a life of vicissitude and fruitless conflict perished miserably in prison by the treachery of one of the great rival nobles herbert of vermondois in 928 his infant son nephew of the english athelstan saved with difficulty and brought up in england louis the stranger louis d'outremer from oversea owed his recall from exile in 936 to the mutual suspicions of his father's enemies herbert of vermondois and hugh of paris who both counted on being able to use him for their own purposes he came back to waste a gallant spirit and a reign of eighteen years from 936 to 954 in fruitless efforts fruitless even when he was victorious to shake off the crushing pressure of the great dukes and counts who in paris normandy flanders vermandois lotharingia burgundy poitou aquitaine hemmed in the king of the franks in his fortress of laon and its narrow surrounding district all that remained besides the name of king to the family of charles the great nothing proves more certainly the failing powers of the carolingian house than the contrast between louis and the german king of the new saxon line otto or otho nine fifty one to nine seventy three both were equally surrounded by the formidable rivalry of powerful local chiefs by confusion selfishness treason by terrible outbreaks of barbarian invasion but what the carolingians could not do otto did he asserted his mastery over the turbulence round him he conceived and carried out worthy political aims he attempted and partly accomplished the reform of abuses in government and in the church and with no more advantage than louis he left a great name as a king and a ruler the founder a second time of the new roman empire 
louis's son lothar inherited the kingdom on the same terms as his father 954 to 986 the great duke of paris claimed as in his father's case to be the protector of the king he still preferred to make control despoil torment the kings of the franks than to be king himself lothar's reign was wasted like his father's in ignoble and unprofitable trials of strength there was much fighting much crime much intrigue much vicissitude of fortune but everything contributed to the growing strength and the independence of the duke of the normans and of his ordinary ally the duke of paris louis and lothar between them reigned for fifty years but in vain at length the time of the carolingians was exhausted hugh the great in nine fifty six who would not be a king himself left a son hugh capet for whom he prepared a kingdom and who was ready when the last carolingian became king to follow the example of the founder of the carolingian line the last carolingian boyish profligate restless reigned but a year nine eighty seven he died probably poisoned the great line ended in a louis whom the historians have nicknamed le fainéant der faul the good-for-nothing his death was followed by the election of hugh capet in vain did charles louis's brother from the impregnable rock of laon the last refuge of the carolingians strike desperately for his inheritance the great interests round him the political and ecclesiastical treachery of the time were against him after an obstinate struggle he was at last entrapped by the bishop of laon betrayed and delivered into the hands of hugh capet he died in prison and the carolingians disappear from history with the end of the carolingian line and indeed long before it was extinct came the end of that frank power which after the fall of rome had for four centuries played the foremost part in the west and which had culminated in charles's empire the franks had outstripped and defeated all their great rivals the gothic and then the lombard race in the competition for the leadership of the new world they had been the conquerors and tamers of kindred barbarians alamans bavarians frisians saxons their manifest superiority their brilliant successes seemed to themselves and to their contemporaries to raise them to the greatness of the ancient romans the popes are never tired of celebrating their glory and their own feeling about it breaks out with a kind of lyrical enthusiasm in the barbarous latin of the prologue to the collection called the salic law the illustrious race of the franks created by the hand of god mighty in arms deep in counsel stable in the bond of peace in body noble and stalwart in fairness and beauty matchless daring and swift and stern newly come to the catholic faith free from heresy while it was still in the barbarian state yet by god's inspiration it sought the key of knowledge and according to the bent of its own qualities desiring righteousness and holding fast piety its chiefs dictated the salic law long live we wot whoever loves the franks may christ keep their realm and fill their rulers with the light of his grace may he protect their host may he grant them the memorials of the faith the joys and the felicity of peace 
may jesus christ the lord of lords by his mercy guide their times for this is that race which when it was little in number yet being mighty in valour and strength broke off by fighting the tyrannous yoke of the romans from its neck and after it had made the confession of baptism by it the bodies of the holy martyrs which the romans had burned with fire or slain with the sword were cast forth to be torn by wild beasts were magnificently enshrined with gold and precious stones but their day as a race was over as that single and foremost nation which had controlled and directed the fortunes of all around them they were to dissolve and disappear they were merged and lost in the two great rival peoples which arose after them and partly from them and who divided their heritage it was long before they learned that they were no longer one that they were to be divided long after the treaty of verdun in eight forty three and the death of the last legitimate carolingian emperor in eight eighty eight even the saxon kings of germany claimed to interfere in the affairs of gaul as representing the old kingdom and leadership of the franks but their claim no longer answered to the realities of the case there was still to be a great francia appropriating the name and fame of the franks of clovis and the great charles but it was no longer german but latin there were still to be franks who were germans from whose dukes and kings were to come emperors of the romans a francia in the heart of germany and on both sides of the rhine retaining the name when it shrank up to the circle of franconia of later times but the franks who had ruled in europe and established the power of the popes the franks who prepared the way for the middle ages the franks on whom for a time seemed to devolve the roman empire the united franks of charles the great broken up and separated are known no more in history after the failure and extinction of the family of their greatest man End of section nineteen